Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alien Talk Podcast, where we discuss all things about aliens, UFOs, and that which is out of the ordinary. Conventional thinking is not allowed here. We are your hosts, Joe Landry and Lori Olford. Today, we're going to talk, take a look at some of the enigma that surrounds the frozen continent of Antarctica. It's a strange place. Uh, it is a landmass of large size and is almost completely covered in thick sheets of ice, up to one mile. Uh, there are no native human inhabitants, no human history as far as we can tell. And since it's located at the south pole of the Earth, the place has temperatures that drop to below minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the year. Uh, so for those of you who are more acclimated to the metric system, that's equivalent to being below minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the year. Very nice. <laughs> now, uh, there are some who say that beneath the ice sheets are the hidden remains of a lost civilization, maybe Atlantis. What we want to do is tie this hypothesis into the aspects of ancient alien theory. Hi, Laurie. Hey, Joe. So you're saying you don't like paying for gasoline by the liter, huh? Hey, if the price is right, I'll pay for gasoline by the hectogram if I have to. <laughs> so go ahead and sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, a pretty cool topic. Antarctica is a land that's always been shrouded in mystery right here on our own planet. Though we probably know more about the surface of Mars than we do about this place. And really, no one owns any part of it either. Of course, there are plenty of territories that, you know, uh, several countries claim to sort of quasi-own, but any boundaries actually established aren't, well, you know, real. So after the early 20th century, Great Britain, France, and I believe Norway, they all laid claim to different coastal portions. But since there isn't anything there to actually claim, uh, nothing truly meaningful came from that. Now, today, we, there are at least 25 countries um, that have a presence in Antarctica with different types of research stations set up all over the place. Yeah, and just to, to clarify the meaning of the words Antarctic and Antarctica, uh, Antarctica refers to the actual continent, the white-colored splotch that we always see on maps and globes. Antarctic refers to the polar region that covers 66.5 degrees south latitude all the way to the south pole of 90 degrees south, just like Arctic refers to the, Ar the region covering 66.5 degrees north latitude to the north pole, 90 degrees north. Uh, the big difference between the two regions is that there is no landmass at the north pole like there is at the South Pole. The Arctic is just uh, densely packed ice on the Arctic Ocean. Submarines can actually travel underneath it, whereas the Antarctic has land, and that land is Antarctica. And of course, it is completely covered in thick ice, just to clear that up. So yeah, uh, Antarctica. It's uh, freezing cold there, and it's a barren wasteland, and it's like the furthest place away from anyone who's living in North America or Europe. So, you know, back 200 years ago, when it was officially discovered, it was extremely difficult to track down there and quarry or mine minerals or really do anything at all. It's just too bleeping cold there. Um, it wasn't until the early part of the 20th century that explorers like Amundsen, uh, Shackleton, and Scott started to try to make it all the way to the pole. Uh, there was an international treaty called the Antarctic Treaty. Uh, signed with the UN back in 1961 to ban any military activity like weapons testing from being conducted there. 
and it decreed whatever sectors were claimed by certain countries, they, they could be kept by those countries, and although it also forbade any exploitation, such as mining or drilling. And there were to be no sanctions for one country setting up facilities in another country's sector. So Chile or Argentina can put stations in what is British or Australian territory, and that's just fine. So it seems that the mood among the international community is that Antarctica is a big, beautiful, ice-packed piece of nothing that everybody should enjoy somehow if, if you're into that. Right. And while it seems to be nothing but a frozen wasteland, there is stuff that is there. So let's let's take a trip back in time to about, uh, say, 14,000 years ago. Now, this is roughly when the human race entered into what's called the Neolithic Revolution. Now, this is where we shifted from hunting, gathering to farming. Uh, this is also around the time when the Earth's climate began to significantly change with the glaciers melting and our atmosphere being warmer and holding more water vapor in. It was the end of the you know, Pleistocene Ice Age. While humans existed, at least anatomically, from 200,000 to 250,000 years ago, there is no evidence of their use of agriculture until about 10,000 B.C. So some anthropologists will argue that there was no single event that contributed to this development, but I disagree with that. So the Sumerian history tells us more, uh, as we have learned from Sitchin's cuneiform translation, translations, uh, there are glyphs and there are cylinder seals that depict the gods, the Anunnaki, granting human beings the gift of the plow. Yeah, and, and what that may represent is the gods teaching man the skills necessary for agriculture. Right. And we also had the planet Nibiru passing closely by Earth during the time frame of 10,000 to 12,000 to 15,000 years ago. And this may have resulted in major geological and climatological changes, perhaps caused by the tilt of the Earth's being altered, um, even if it was just slightly. Now, if Nibiru did pass by, saying, uh, let's say around 12,400 BC, then it would have done so again around 8,800 BC, since it returns every 3,600 years. And then it would have passed by again at approximately 5,200 BC, which puts the Anaki here to genetically upgrade humans, hence the Adam and Eve story, and thus begins the Sumerian civilization. Now, this may also give an explanation for the disappearance of the continent of Atlantis, uh, did it really exist? Did it submerge into the ocean named after it? Did earthquakes and floods come, as mentioned by Critias, uh, an ancient Athenian, and cause it to sink in a day? Um, how did this great continent, which is said to have measured 345 miles by uh, 230 miles, get completely wiped out? Critias believed that this happened more than 9,000 years before his time, of, I believe, was 460 BC. Now, this would then put put it close to that 10,000 to 12,000 BC area, right in that time frame of the Neolithic Revolution, and when Nibiru uh, would have made one of its passes by Earth at the time. Yeah. So you mentioned Creatus. Uh, he was a Greek person who spoke with Plato, who in turn recounts his dialogues with him in a work called the Creatus. Uh, and one of the things he tells Plato is the account of a great empire called Atlantis that waged war with Athens and then fell out of favor with the gods and sank to the bottom of the ocean. 
Plato also wrote about other dialogues in the Timaeus with a character of that same name in which a similar story is told about an island beyond the Pillars of Hercules, uh, often assumed to be the Straits of Gibraltar. And that is larger than Libya and Asia put together. And in, it is peculiar that Plato would place the destruction of Atlantis as being 9,000 years before his time. As we said, this was when the Pleistocene Ice Age was ending and the Earth was likely experiencing shifts in its axis um, resulting in geomagnetic changes, climate changes, and tectonic changes that could have been quite cataclysmic. Uh, you also have to remember that Plato used metaphors that were around long before his time, such as the myth of the cave, the ring of Ganges. Uh, and like many other ancient writers, he was borrowing from source material that dated back centuries before his time. He's simply retelling old stories. The actual location of Atlantis is Highly, highly disputed. Uh, you name a place, and there are people, experts and otherwise, who will say it's the remnant of Atlantis. Uh, you have Bimini Way in the Bahamas. You have the island of Terra, modern-day Santorini near Crete. You have uh, Crete itself. You have any island there is in the Aegean Sea. You have any island there is in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, you have the Andalusia region in Spain. You have the Portuguese Azores in the North Atlantic. You have the Pin Pinar del Rio in Cuba, and you have the coast of Brazil. You have everywhere. Uh, you even have it possibly being in Sweden. All of these places are contested, but there is one place where it could be, and it hasn't been closely studied because it's covered in thick ice. And of course, that place is Antarctica. Now, Atlantis is dismissed by many scholars as being merely fictional and an allegorical story by Plato. However, when you consider that the same was once thought about the story of Troy in Homer's Iliad, you have to wonder if we are just one piece of a solid piece of evidence away from Atlantis being an undisputed fact. Now, Troy was mostly thought to have been a fictional place until 1870, when the German archaeologist Heinrich Schellemann found its ruins near Mamera, a location known in the ancient world from Homer to be where Troy once stood. So there, there it was, and this led to the confirmation of the Iliad being based on at least some historical events. Uh, the question then is, if Homer's epic is now believed to be historically accurate, even if just partially, then why wouldn't we believe the same about Plato's Timaeus and Creatus? If Troy is now confirmed as a place that really existed, then why can't we think the same about Atlantis also really existing? So Schielemann actually did believe Atlantis could have existed. And he even made a map placing it in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, the North Atlantic between West Africa and the Caribbean Sea. Uh, who's to say that the Azores Islands way off the Iberian coast are not the lingering peaks of the continent of Atlantis? So uh, that would put it beyond the pillars of Hercules, as said by Plato, or perhaps due to shifts of the Earth's axis. So it sunk and moved te uh, tectonically toward the Antarctic. We always have to remember that in antiquity, myth and fact are often elaborately intertwined. Yeah, indeed. And we see that all the time in the lore and epic poems of heroes, gods, monsters, battles, etc. Things would get misunderstood, 
misconstrued and erroneously conflated and derived in the telling of events, people, and places. And, and while every culture has its unique mythology and traditions, they all seem to be based on the same uh, archetypes, you know, that being extraordinary people, spectacular events, and supernatural powers. We find this in essays and historical treaties uh, from back then as well. Um, the Roman uh, author Suetonius um, created a series of biographies back in the second century AD called the Twelve Caesars. And this is considered to be an authoritative work uh, on the history of the Roman world and of Roman society at that time. Yet we find all kinds of superstitious references in it. Uh, curses are made and taken seriously. Omens are seen and also taken seriously. And the will of the gods is directly manifested within the political forums. With uh, Caligula, for example, going as far as to put bust of his own head onto the statue's uh, to replace those of Jupiter, thinking that he was the living form of Jupiter. So yes, uh, within these strange myths and tales, there are sometimes found pieces of truth. And with Atlantis, you definitely have to wonder if there aren't at least some bits of truth to the story. Plato is not the only one who documents it. Uh, Strabo, Xenocrates, uh, even the Jewish philosopher Philo uh, wrote about Atlantis. Herodotus uh, also mentions it in his work, The Histories, referring to people called uh, Atlanteans, whose name comes from Atlas, the titan from Greek mythology, with the Atlantic Ocean being the sea of Atlas. And Atlas is supposedly the king of Atlantis. Interestingly, uh, there are also the Atlas Mountains in northwest Africa that go through Morocco and Algeria, and which is pretty close to the Straits of Gibraltar. And the possible pillars of Hercules, which is used to demarcate the realm of Atlantis, you know, being beyond that. Uh, we do have a physical description of Atlantis. Uh, it is said to be an island comprised of concentric circles of dry land, three rings of land that were miles across with uh, broad canals about 300 feet wide and then 100 feet deep in between. Uh, and they surrounded a central island, the home of Poseidon. Uh, there were said to be bridges that connected these sort of um, rings or atolls, and they facilitated ease of travel from one side to another. There was an Acropolis and a citadel, more than one. There were great temples, massive public squares, lush gardens, and busy civic centers. Supposedly, large ships could pass easily from the main, uh, from the many main sea harbors into these canals and go throughout the uh, island system. And it was also said to be extremely well fortified against outside attackers with large walls. Uh, plus, natural mud shoals gave considerable safety to the harbors from severe storms. So a good bit of detail for a place that's mostly thought to be imaginary and fictional. But, you know, that's not uncommon for some of these stories where the writers uh, can be quite expressive. Yeah, and the word Atlantis comes from the Greek Atlantis Nisos, which actually means Atlas's island. And it seemed logical to assume that Atlantis would have been somewhere out in that massive ocean named after it, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Atlas was a son of the Titan father, Japetus, uh, one of the 12 pre-Olympian gods and the ocean and mother, Asia. Now, there is a parallel here, the Anunnaki, and then they're not a Anunnaki narrative 
could it be that the god Atlas is the same figure as the god Inki slash Ea from Sumer and, Babel- and Babylon, or at least maybe a, a kid or a grandkid of his? Um, as you all know by now, it's if the Anun- if the gods in Anunnaki of ancient Mesopotamia are extraterrestrials, then so too are the gods and titans of ancient Greece. They're actually one and the same. The names may be different, but the storyline is similar, if not exactly the same. Now, Atlantis may have been the major Earth colony for these extraterrestrials and possibly where their operational base was located for them to carry out their Earth mission, possibly to include the creation of humans. Um, The Garden of Eden or the Aliens Biogenesis project may have been at Atlantis, or it could could have been that uh, from there, the, U, the first humans were moved to somewhere in Africa or Mesopotamia in order to be observed while working slash worshiping for mm-hmm. the god, for the god slash god, the ancient astronauts, of course. And perhaps that was the place um, that was the Garden of Eden. So Atlantis could have disappeared during the Great Deluge. The Babylonian Atrahasis described the Anunnaki as being safe above the earth in their orbiting platform. The watching the whole thing unfold from above the earth. So here you have Enlil uh, being angry with the world population and wanting it wiped out in a flood. In Greek mythology, you have Zeus being angry with the Atlantean uh, population and wanting it wiped out in a flood. And of course, in the Bible, you have God being angry with the world population and wanting it wiped out in a flood. So all of these legends, these myths, these tra- traditions, they're all sounding the same, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's an allegorical perspective with the story of Atlantis, which I think is interesting. Uh, we find similes of it being like a utopia, a paradise, a metaphysically perfect society, uh, even a spiritual place. Uh, the famous American psychic Edgar Casey said it was like a realm of the gods who had abilities beyond our imagination and that he was able to mentally see the place and communicate with it. Um, of course, he also claimed to be able to contact Lemuria, another lost continent that is said to have sunk in the Indian Ocean, possibly within the same time period of Atlantis, and possibly being one and the same thing as Atlantis. Who knows? The uh, idea of Lemuria came forth from the 19th century zoologists who, and they tried to explain the presence of certain fossils in Madagascar, um, and Lemuria also picked up in popularity with esoteric occultists uh, at the time who described their um, human beginnings there uh, through similar legends as they did with Atlantis. Um, so they could be just one and the same thing. Uh, it is, and also has to be taken uh, on the psychological connotation. Uh, it also has to be taken on a sociological and humanistic connotation. Uh, look at Francis Bacon who wrote the book New Atlantis during the Renaissance era to depict the aspiration of human ideals in building a better world based on science, reason, law, justice, and societal order. He bases it on an imaginary island, kind of like Atlantis, where these ideals and principles existed in the lives of its people. So the idea of Atlantis is found to be emblematic, uh, psychologically emblematic in Western culture to be a utopian world, both metaphysical and humanistic. It represents the epitome of the greatness that a civilization can achieve, as well as the pinnacle from which that civilization can fall. 
like all myths, Atlantis seems to be deeply Im uh, embedded within the uh, collective psyche of humanity. And you can't deny that we seem to have a longing for this place, uh, maybe because it is our first home. Uh, definitely so. Uh, there are forms of it in almost every culture of the greatness of mankind being utterly destroyed by a great deity virtually in an instant. Consider the Dogon tribe of Mali, situated in northwest Africa, not far from the Atlas Mountains you mentioned, which could be close to the legendary Atlantis location. Uh, they believe in gods called the Nomals, who are humanoid fish-like creatures called masters of the water or the monitors. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like the Watchers? It does. And we, we spoke about that a couple of episodes ago. Now, this is relevant uh, in illustrating a mythological connection with Inki, who was called the Lord of Many Waters, and with Poseidon, who was the god of the waters and the abyss. So the Dogon, though, also believe that these gods came from the Sirius star system and refer to them as teachers. And that is similar to an Akkadian god named Dumuzid, a half-man slash half-fish counselor and who was likewise the son of Inki, the same, um, lord of many waters. Now, according to another Dogon belief, a god named Amel killed another god and spread his body parts throughout the world. This is identical to the story of Is Osiris, the uh, Egyptian god. He was being drowned by Seth, who then dismembered him and spread his remains around Egypt. And the Greeks have a god named Zagreus, also, who was you know, cut up and, and dispersed. Yeah, like you said, the, the stories and traditions of these cultures are all sounding the same. Yes, and that's the point. All these um, stories are connected in some way. They originate from the same source, from somewhere, and therefore they should be based, maybe even roughly based, on true events that occurred in the distant past. Now, of course, they are going to morph over time as they are passed on from generation to generation and from culture to culture. And that's what makes them myths. But their sources come from the records of people, places, and events that are real. And maybe not 100% real, as we told, but real nonetheless. So maybe one day future civilizations will speak of us in a way that resembles mythology. And they may tell stories that are inaccurate or embellished. Um, but there will be kernels of truth in these stories. For instance, they could say in the far future, of course, that Americans colonized the other planets of the solar system in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. Well, that would not be accurate at all, as these planets haven't been colonized, at least not yet. Uh, it would be true partially in that we have sent unmanned probes to them to gather photographs and a plethora of data to greatly further our knowledge of them. Yeah, right. Uh, that's a good analogy. Um, you know, it's pretty difficult sometimes to get the full and complete truth from history. You usually have to compile it from various sources to form a comprehensive account of what really happened. So that brings us to why it could be that Atlantis is at Antarctica. Uh, you mentioned it moving further south from where it could have been in the Atlantic Ocean. And of course, we know that the Earth's continents have changed significantly. Uh, they shifted throughout time. What's interesting is that geologists think that the landmass of Antarctica is considerably smaller than the area covered by the ice sheets, and that the coastline that is visible is not really the coastline, it's just ice. 
the cartography of the land wasn't accurately known until really recent times, like the 60s. Uh, however, a medieval map was discovered in Turkey in 1929, and it accurately shows uh, uh, the charting of the coast as it would look if the ice wasn't there. Records indicate that this was drafted in 1513 by an Ottoman Navy Admiral named Piri Reis. And the question raised is how was he able to make such a map of the coastline of Antarctica if it is completely obscured and invisible due to the massive ice sheets concealing it? Well, as it is, uh, the records show that Piri Reis uh, knew about this by studying even older maps, much older, going back to the time of Ptolemy or even uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, it is possible that these maps, which as of now have not been recovered, were drawn so long ago that Antarctica wasn't yet covered with ice. And another oddity of the Piri Reis map, is, as it's now called, is that it shows Antarctica connected with the southern tip of South America. And this could mean uh, that there was a time long ago when Argentina and Chile went straight onto the Larsen Peninsula of Antarctica. Uh, this would support the notion of the continents being connected and then drifting apart to where we see them today. Uh, we've all seen those old European maps and nautical charts. Uh, sometimes they're called Mapai Mundi. Um, that incorrectly showed a configuration of continents and oceans. Uh, but the Piri Reis map is remarkably accurate for the time period in which it was drafted. It could be that the older maps that were supposedly uh, referred to, of which Piri Reis uh, claims were from Egypt, Arabia, India, and Portugal, uh, that he used in order to help draw his map, were also very accurate. And this could mean that it was once an advanced civilization on Earth that obtained this detailed information from its surveying and charting skills, and then it passed it along to the ancient peoples. The next question is, was this advanced civilization a human one or an alien one? Um, could the Atlanteans have been extraterrestrials? Well, it makes me think again of the Sumerian mythology where Enlil wants the human population to be decimated, and he knew that Nibiru's close passage to Earth was going to cause a gravitational pull that would make glaciers break off into the oceans, resulting in a deluge um, that would affect nearly the entire planet. Atlantis wouldn't have a good chance at all. Now, during the deluge, the island continent of Atlantis could have shifted south by breaking up in, in a manner of speaking, not literally, of course. Right. You mean breaking up uh, or breaking off through plate tectonics, which would uh, have been quite significant um, if, if there was something like a sudden and colossal change in ocean levels. Yeah. And, and just as South America became disconnected from Antarctica over a period of time, uh, so too could have Atlantis become connected to Antarctica. Now, granted, this would not have happened instantaneously. I'm not saying it didn't take a considerable amount of time for this uh, movement of land masses to occur, but certainly within a few hundred years, the right. dynamics of you know, the dynamics of the Earth's oceans and, and the Earth's crust could have brought about such changes. And we know that continental drift and ocean level fluctuations are continuously occurring on our planet, as well as we know that angle of the Earth's axis has changed over time. Now, I'm glad you brought up the Piri's map because it's important because of its accuracy in illustrating what the coast looks like without the ice. 
and it also shows some features further inland. Uh, experts are still amazed by its uh, topography or topographic uh, detail. Yeah, right. It, it's remarkable that it even shows um, the configuration of the Andes Mountains in South America. Uh, which would also have been unknown to European and Turkish cartographers at the time, circa 16th century. Yeah, so it, it is possible that all of um, the world was mapped out at some point. Um, maybe the Perry's map is just like one piece of a puzzle and, and that there are other pieces that may still be found that show people had a profound knowledge of geography long before we ever thought they did. If they did, it should be because the ice caps weren't always there. And we know the earth has undergone several warming periods. There was supposedly one uh, from the second century AD to just prior to the 13th century. Um, then when there was a, then there was a cooling period after that, this one is called what is known today as the Little Ice Age, and it was then that the polar ice caps grew and thickened up until the early 20th century. Then another warming period, which many believe we're in now. So scientists have learned this by studying ice core samples, the rocks and sediments and tree rings, etc. So I remember vacationing in Seattle one year and. We went to a local museum. When I visited the section that displayed geologic history, I saw one of those, um, a transitional pictures of the earth in about five to six phases, indicating the amount of ice at the poles. Yeah, I've seen those too. And they show the uh, continental and oceanic changes that occurred over time, like with uh, Pangea uh, and Gondwanda and Laurentia. Yeah, and, and what got my attention was the image showing before this little ice age of the 13th century AD that there was almost no ice at, at our poles. I was like, oh, wait a minute. There wasn't any industrialization interfering with our climate back then. So how could that have happened? If the scientists who formulated this model are correct, then there's a huge possibility that an Antarctica map could have very well been created long, long before Perry Reese created what we now have as his map from uh, 1513. Yeah, and then not just going back to the Middle Ages. I mean, if sailors from thousands of years ago were able to go by Antarctica, uh, they would have seen terra firma, um, not ice caps. Uh, yet, for some reason, uh, there are no records of them doing that, uh, other than the sources to which Perry Reese makes reference. Yeah, if, if what we've heard from or about Atlantis and its citizens is true in terms of it being an advanced society, then I believe it's possible to have a connection for it to have a connection to our religious beliefs and lore. If Atlantis was, if Atlas or rather, was its king and was believed to be a demigod slash a titan, then that would make him an extraterrestrial or at least partly so. And if it was a utopian society, as we find in our literary tradition, then it would make perfect sense for it to be the place where the human biogenesis project took place. It most definitely could have been where the Garden of Eden was located on a highly sophisticated island where the gods and goddesses live while stationed on Earth. Um, it would be their first colony, per se. And the Sumerian story could have just 
had this place moved to Mesopotamia, hmm. perhaps through incorrect translations where, you know, we get the city of Eridu as being the Anunnaki's home in the far away. So even Inki's abode is mentioned as being in the abyss, which was at the bottom of the earth. This was not inside the earth because it was described to be a beautiful and immaculate place. Let's take into consideration that if the mining operations were on in were going on in southern Africa and Inki resided in the abyss, the, the lower portion of the earth, then uh, could it be that Antarctica is this abyss? And is that why it has the possible associations with Atlantis in later traditions? Because it was moved through some cataclysmic event, such as the flood, to the Antarctic. Do you think? Yeah, we, we have to remember that many geologists today believe uh, Antarctica was once not a completely frozen tundra like it is now. Um, they found fossils of plants tropical plants from some of the rock layers they assessed uh, and had access to, sometimes through drilled core samples. And this means that the rocks on the continent were not always within the Antarctic region where it is cold, or possibly the conditions on the Earth were so different thousands and millions of years ago that the Antarctic region was not cold at all. Uh, they have studied many fossils and rocks, both marine and terrestrial, and examine the deep ocean currents and the ice layers themselves to come to this conclusion. So the landmass we call Antarctica uh, could have been inhabited at one time by a wide variety of species. And this is very much the impression we get when we think about a Garden of Eden, a, a, lavishly, uh, a place lavishly teeming with abundant life. So I, I guess uh, even at some point, uh, Atlanteans could have been living there as well. Now, the thing about Antarctica is that for being such a remote and barren wasteland, it's, it's not in, inactive, um, not at all. Like you said, Laurie, there are over 25 countries that have research stations set up all over there. Um, they number close to 70 with over 1,200 personnel assigned. So there's a lot of interest there, military, scientific, and commercial. Uh, Norwegian cruise lines, Viking expeditions, and Silver Sea cruises even send their luxury ships there. Um, the, the place fascinates us. People are wanting to go there, and nations have been wanting to claim it, at least parts of it. And strange stuff seems to happen there as well. Uh, before World War II, the Nazis were supposedly setting up secret bases there in a sector they called New Schwabenland. Um, the purpose of this is not entirely clear. Some early British intelligence reports say that it might have been there for the stationing of U-boats. But other sources claim it had more to do with whaling. So, um, yeah, yeah, whaling. Um, regardless, there are rumors that the German high command learned of hidden tunnels and caverns underneath the ice in which extraterrestrial remains were discovered. Now, the Nazis uneventfully left Antarctica, but in the years before uh, the war ended, Germany's military-industrial complex seemed to go almost into warp speed as it seemed to become years or even decades ahead of its time in weapons technology development. So you wonder, did they find something in these tunnels and caverns in Antarctica that helped them with this? We don't know. Uh, the secret tunnels and caverns haven't been found by anyone as of yet. Uh, even more strange of a story, uh, in 1946 and 1947, uh, after the war had ended, 
the U.S. Navy was taking part in something called Operation High Jump, uh, which meant to find and eliminate the Nazi bases that were may have been there, as it said. Um, the reason is not known. The reason why is unknown. Uh, supposedly, the Soviet Union had some part in this as well. And, and during this mission, it is said, uh, as the, the story goes, that UFOs at Antarctica attacked the U.S. fleet, uh, actually causing fatal damage to some of the ships and aircraft, enough so to make them retreat. Now, this is documented, but obviously any specific details are extremely sketchy, but something definitely happened. Uh, it could have been a Russian attack, a mistake on their part that was brushed aside to prevent the escalation of an international incident, or a series of mechanical malfunctions on the part of the Americans, or it could have been uh, from storms or severe weather, but something significant happened. And there are reports, a lot of them uh, are from declassified Russian KGB files that they say um, unidentified flying objects or unidentified uh, spacecraft attacked the U.S. Navy. Yeah, and there are other stories, uh, stories of military aircraft encountering large holes in the ice, uh, ice sheet while mm -hmm. flying, flying down there. And then the pilots being giving orders to divert from going near them. I mean, yeah, it's hard to confirm a lot of it. But um, like we've been saying all along, even if just a part of it is true, then this is significant. And something happened. But what? So we don't know for sure yet. Um, but like with almost everything, you, you need to look at the totality of the facts, which we try and uh, put forward. So if these apostases hold some truth, then there could be there could have been an alien presence at uh, Antarctica, or be an a, a, a alien presence at Antarctica, and Atlantis could still exist there somewhere under the ice sheets, which came came about from various changes in climate over the millennia. Um, therefore, if if there is a if there is any remnant of the Atlanteans possibly still there, then they may be of the reptilian race. Remember, if we are indeed created in the image of the gods, then uh, we cannot forget that some cultures around the world say that the gods are somewhat reptilian. Now, we see that uh, in Egypt, in India, in Central and South America, where the deities have scaly skin and serpentine eyes. So what, what of these features? Um, could there have been extraterrestrials who appeared reptilian? possibly even the Anunnaki. So back in the 60s, a neuroscientist named Paul McLean uh, came up with a uh, thing called the triune brain theory, which proposes there are three basic functional systems within our brains. So the first one is limbic, which affects our emotions, our moods, and our behavior. The second is the neocortex, and this affects our speech, our imagination, our reasoning, our cognitions, and a moral judgment. And the third is the reptilian, uh, which is the most primal, the most inst instinctual, and the most atomic. It is responsible in controlling our heart rate, our breathing, our balance, our temperature, and situational responsiveness. It is similar in structure to that of which is found in brains of the reptiles and amphibians and fish. Uh, it is a more primitive part of our nervous systems. So you see, this may be a possible clue, not only to our evolution as mammals and reptiles uh, share about what 50% of their DNA, 
but also to our creation with our alien ancestors, you know, putting their genetic mark upon us or creating us in their image. Yeah. Now, in the previous episode, we said that there is a reptilian species from a completely different star system and that they are not the Anunnaki from Nibiru. Um, Could it be that these particular reptilians are here for a different reason? Okay, so the Anunnaki may have some kind of dominant reptilian gene, but they are not the alien reptilian race. Um, They're sometimes depicted as having serpent heads, and Inky is often referred to as as, uh, being serpent-like. But the alien reptilians uh, we're now talking about are believed to be from the star Alpha Draconius in the constellation of Draco, which is near the Big Dipper. And some have gone as far as to say that um, they are also shapeshifters and that they are able to destroy humankind by controlling the government leaders of the world, like in that made-for-TV movie from the 80s called V, one of my favorites. Uh, do you remember it? I think it was like 83 or 84. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a, it was a series that followed after it. It ran for a whole season. Yeah, a whole season. Um, yeah, so I do not believe that you know, shape-shifting reptilians are influencing anyone. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I think I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I don't think Justin Bieber or the Bush family are reptilians. <laughs> there are now there are documented accounts of people having been abducted by them. Uh, so not not George Bush or Bieber. I mean the reptilians. <laughs> but the uh, so they're they're. Could there be a uh, reptilian race from Alpha Draconius? Maybe. Uh, I mean, who are we to speak with absolute certainty if there is or isn't, right? Um, We can only speculate as we always do. Um, I also disagree with many who believe that the uh, reptilians are residing under Antarctica. I think if if anything, it's that Atlantis drifted there uh, tectonically and may just be a remnant heap of uh, of ice under ice or landmass under ice with no alien races living there at all. I also think that the Anunnaki founded Atlantis, but abandoned it after learning of the impending doom of the flood, as we find in the Babylonian mythology. Uh, they are they they all knew what was going to happen. They just didn't want the humans to know. So based on that, we can thank Inky who had compassion for the for his project, his creation, and saved a remnant of humanity from that. And we're all familiar with the story. It's just been told to us in, in a different way. Yeah, definitely way more questions than answers. Um, mystery seems to be the rule when it comes not only to cultural concepts like the Garden of Eden, the Great Flood, and Atlantis, but also to the archaeological and historical evidence that has been intensely studied over the years. Antarctica may hold the key to all of it, or at least some of it. I guess I shouldn't be too bold in my uh, assertion. Uh, nonetheless, if we explore it further, I'm confident that we'll learn a whole lot more about our ancient past. And uh, with that, we're out of time. Yeah, so next week, Joe and I are going to talk about the moon and Mars and the importance they may have um, as, as uh, stopping points Uh, for the Anunnaki and other alien visitors who came here a long time ago and may still be coming here. 
uh, they may also hold the solutions to humanity's future and survival, the moon and Mars, that is. So definitely tune in, and I'm going to go up there uh, someday, hopefully. How about you, Joe? Uh, no, 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 thank you. I like breathing air, Laurie. I, I think I'll stay here on Earth. But you know, they have to colonize it in a way that supports life, say, with enclosed dome structures that have controlled atmospheres and biospheres, you know, um, how like you've seen in the movies. Yeah, like you mean the Martian? Or what was that other one? Elysium? Oh, Elysium. Yeah, that was uh, about a space station above the Earth. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, well... I tell you this, uh, if there's no Starbucks up there, uh, or if there are no saunas or steam rooms up there, <laughs> then I'm definitely not going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you'll see. It, it'll be just like some resort up there one day, uh, just like a cruise ship, a spa, a theater. Great food. Right, and also you know. casinos. Can't, can't forget the casinos. <laughs> nope, can't forget the casinos. Yeah, it'll have it all. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you again next week. So happy Memorial Day, and as always, stay safe, stay peaceful, and most of all, stay curious. Take care, folks. Yeah, so long, everyone. Happy Memorial Day, and thanks for joining us.